You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Well, this is the final message of the final core value of Gospelite. What are our core values? Well, they spell out the, the name Gospelite. It's an acrostic. We began, if you remember, Sunday number one. We introduced the theme, next level. We introduced the first core value, which is the letter G, begins with the letter G. God is number one in our lives. Today, we will finish that, that, that yearly theme and the acrostic of gospel light with the letter T. And that core value is thinking bigger and expecting more is our mindset. Thinking bigger, expecting more. And to do that, we've been, we've been talking about our limitless God and that he is able. And we've been looking at different places in scripture where it specifically says that he is able to do the impossible. In fact, we began in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20 where it says, Now to him who is able to do what? Above and beyond all that we could ever ask or think according to the power that works in us. On that second Sunday, Brother Don Schultes preached from Daniel chapter 3 and verse 17 about the three Hebrew children being thrown in that burning, fiery furnace. But they said, our God is able. There's that little phrase again. I love that phrase. We find it all through scripture. He's able to deliver us. And he did. And then last week, I spoke about how God is able to fulfill his promises. We saw how God was able to do what was seemingly impossible in Abraham's life. He takes a man who was 100 years old and his wife who is 90 years old and he promised a son to that couple. That's impossible. But God fulfilled his promise. We read in Romans chapter 4 verse 20 and 21 that Abraham did not waver in unbelief at God's promise. But rather, he was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God because he was fully convinced that what God had promised. Are you ready, church? Here it is again. He was also able to do. Wow. This week, we're going to take a second look at Abraham's life. And this week, we're going to see that it seems as if the promise that God made to Abraham was going to be unfulfilled. Last week we said, what do you do when you lose hope? This week it's an even deeper question. What do you do when God seems to unfulfill his promise? In reality, and we'll see this in the text, in reality we're going to discover that God is always checking our hearts to let us see the true condition of our hearts and to trust him. I don't know if anybody in here has ever seen a cardiologist for an EKG test. I've actually not, but I do know many who have. And and it's my understanding that when you go in for an EKG test, that part of it is they, they hook you up, and especially your heart, to different, you know, little connections that lead to a monitor. And then they put you on a treadmill, right? And they turn the treadmill on. And then just 
speed it up just a little bit, a little faster, a little faster. And the goal is this, that the monitor is going to reveal something. It's going to reveal the true condition of your heart. And so in a similar manner, God puts us all through stress tests at different times in our lives. And it diagnoses the true condition of our faith. Here is something, there's something about seeing an actual printout of an EKG. Just seeing, you know, okay, this is exactly what's going on in my heart. I can see it. And there's also something about the results of God's test that force us to come to grips with the condition of our faith. But what's incredible about these tests is that they're not only designed to reveal the weakness of our faith, but they're also designed at the same time to strengthen our faith. In fact, we read a moment ago in one of the text messages that he did not waver in unbelief at God's promise, but was strengthened in his faith. Isn't it interesting that the Bible suggests some things about stress? In fact, it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that there are four basic levels of stress. It says this, that, are you ready? Anybody up there? No, I'm, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I'm sorry. It says, we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. What I want you to do for a moment is focus on the stress. Notice Paul alludes to the fact that there are these things called trouble, perplex, persecution, cast down. These are four different tests in life. First of all, I suggest to you that to be troubled on every side is to have pressure in life. I'm I'm so sure that everyone in this building has had some sort of pressure in life this week. Maybe it's from a person. Anybody have people stress sometimes? People can be stressful, like the person you're sitting next to sometimes can cause you some stress. Amen. (laughs) I'm not sitting next to anybody so I can get away with it, all right? But I was a minute ago. This can include tests from people, deadlines, delays, irritating interruptions. Then it says that we're perplexed. How many of you at times are stressed because of just perplexing issues that, quite frankly, you, you don't understand. Why is this taking place in my life? Why, what am I going? Why am I going through this? I, and when you don't know where to go or who to talk to, sometimes that can be perplexing, just ordinary pressures of life that intensify. And then thirdly, it says that we can be persecuted. That's stressful. Persecuting times? Sure. These are more extreme tests that can attack in a number of different areas. This could be physical or emotional or financial or social, could even be spiritual persecution. But then there's even the ultimate test. That's to be cast down. These are painful struggles. This is the deepest level of stress. It could include taking away that which is most precious to you. Sometimes this could even be something in the form of a disability or even death. And so for Abraham, and we're going to see it in just a moment in the text, the ultimate test involved the fate of his only beloved son, Isaac. 
He was tested whether he believed God was able to do the impossible. And I love this story. The Bible reveals the excruciating test that Abraham went to in two different texts in Scripture. We get a telescopic view in Hebrews chapter 11. It covers about three or four verses. But then we get, thankfully, a microscopic view in, in Genesis chapter 22 in 14 verses. This was a major time of testing in Abraham's life. Let's take a look at it first of all from the telescopic view in Hebrews chapter 11. It begins in verse 17. It says, It was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who had received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his only son, Isaac. Even though God told him, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. Abraham had reason that if Isaac died, here it is again, God was able. Do you believe that? God was able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. Because raising from the dead, though it is impossible with man, not with God. Abraham understood that with God, all things are possible. And God will test our faith like he did Abraham through events that we often think are impossible. But through those events, we come to discover that our God is able And as we've been saying now for four weeks through the month of November, as we are thinking bigger and expecting more, that God is limitless. But can you imagine the shock that Abraham must have felt when God told him to sacrifice Isaac? How could such a compassionate God impose such a cruel threat? How could a God who's faithful to his promise now seemingly go back on the promise he made? How could a fair God take away that which he had already given? How could God do that? Well, James says that the reason God did it was he was completing or perfecting Abraham's faith. In fact, in James chapter 2, beginning in verse 21, it says, Wasn't Abraham our father justified by works in offering Isaac his son on the altar? You see that faith was active together with works. And by works, faith was made complete. God will send things into our lives from time to time that are designed to test our level of commitment to him. And this event that we're reading about in scripture was a test on whether Abraham believed God was able to do the impossible. Raise the dead. The Bible series has an incredible four-minute picture of what this might have looked like. God is able to do the impossible. We're coming up on Christmas. I'll begin a new series next week. I've already prepared the first message. I can hardly wait to preach it. And we're going to recall that God said to a Jewish 
teenage girl. You're going to give birth to the son of God. Excuse me, virgin birth. Virgin birth. Listen to what Mary said in Luke 134. Mary asked the angel, how can this be? This is impossible. I've never had sexual relations with a man. The angel replies, oh, this is music to my ears this morning in Luke 137, which is where we'll be next week, for nothing will be impossible with God. Mary in faith said, God is able. He's limitless. Luke 138, in the very next verse, Mary says, see, I am the Lord's servant. And Mary said, Mary, may it happen to me. As you have said. After God miraculously gave Abraham a son when he was 100 years of age. And when Sarah was 90 years of age. God asks for the son back. And all of a sudden God allows Abraham's dream to seemingly die. What happens when God allows, seemingly allows the dream that he gave us to die? God is asking Abraham to sacrifice the very dream child that was promised to him. Because God wants him to know that he is the God of the impossible. We read before of Abraham's faith in the text of Hebrews 11. Again in verse 19, listen to it. Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. He believed clearly that God would raise his son from the dead. Think about what we talked about last week. Why would Abraham believe that? Because he remembered what God could do. He'd already raised a dead womb. Sarah was 90 years of age. He knew that. He saw that. Question. Do you believe, personal question to everybody in the room, in the balcony, do you believe that God is able to do the impossible in your life? In your life. Many would like to have more faith. But how do you get more faith? If I were to ask you this morning, how many of you would like more faith? If you knew that it pleased God, would you be okay with it? And it does please God. When we increase our faith, when we trust him more, when we have more faith in him, that pleases God. And Abraham grew stronger because his faith was tested. I want to give you four steps in the telescopic, in the microscopic text. We're going to go to Hebrew, uh, excuse me, Genesis chapter 22 for just a few minutes this morning. And we're going to look at four tests that proved to Abraham that God was able to do the impossible. Are you ready for this? Number one, Abraham tuned in to God's voice. He tuned in to God's voice. This is first. This is number one. This is where it all starts. Look at Genesis chapter 22 and verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham. And he said to him, here it is, Abraham! Abraham's reply, here I am, Lord. I hear you. Here I am. Take your son, he said, 
your only son Isaac, whom you love, go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I'll tell you about. Clearly in the text, Abraham knew it was God asking him to sacrifice his son. He knew God was testing him. God tests us in order to confirm our faith. God tests us in order to prove our commitment to him. But not only to prove our commitment to him, I believe he tests us to prove our commitment to ourselves to God. I can tell you that my faith has been strengthened as I've increased my faith in God, as I've been tested by God through these years of being a Christian and even being a pastor. You see, when God sends a test or a trial, he often doesn't give us an explanation. He doesn't give us the details. That's why we need to be able to discern the voice of God, to tune in to God's voice. Because so often we have a tendency to tune God's voice out and listen to other voices. Most of the time, it's our own voice. I wonder if Abraham would have listened to his voice of pride. Maybe it would have said, you're a rich man. You own a thousand cattle. Surely that would be equal to sacrificing your son. Abraham could have listened to the voice of human intelligence that would have said, you know what? You can think of a better idea than this. This is really kind of a lame idea. I mean, you're smarter than God. You're, your way would be way better. Abraham maybe could have listened to the voice of jealousy or comparison. If he'd have done that, he might have said, God isn't making anyone else do this. It's not fair. But Abraham listened to God's voice because God's voice will never lead you astray from his word. Never. Notice in the text that God never told him exactly which mountain to go to. He had to keep listening to God. Again, in the text, verse two, just notice it says that Take your son, he said, your only son Isaac, whom you love. Go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering. Then just zone in on this phrase, on one of the mountains I will tell you about. When? Later. I'll give you the details later. Just, just, just keep listening. Hey, Doug, just keep listening. I, I want you to do this. Well, God, how do I do it? I I'll tell you later. Just... just just keep, just, just, just keep listening. Well, which mountain am I supposed to? God, do you know the mountain ranges in, in this country? They're everywhere. There's mountains everywhere, God. Just, just listen. I, I, I'll tell you. I'll tell you later. I think there's two aspects to tuning into God's voice. And I want to give you those two right now. But I want to encourage you. Are you ready for some encouragement? You're doing the first one right now. Because the first one is this. We must hear the instruction from God's word. This is why it's so important for us to meet God in the mornings when the day is at its best and his presence feels like glory, like a sunrise in my chest. And all day long, his presence lingers. And all day long, he stays with me. And I sail through troubled darkness or a very troubled sea. And other ships are torn and battered. And other ships are sore distressed. But the wind that seems to drive them brings to me a peace and rest. 
But I think of other mornings with a keen remorse of mine when I too had loosed the mornings with his presence left behind. But I think I found the answer. Learned from many a troubled way. If you seek God in the morning, you can have him all the day. Seek God. Tune into his voice and keep listening to his voice. Hear the instruction from God's word. Abraham was told by God, take your son, your only son Isaac. That was the instruction. He takes his son, he heads to the mountains. Which one? One of them, I don't know. (laughs) It was three days before he ever saw the place. He was moving to a place he hadn't seen and people were following a man who didn't really know exactly where he was going. Have you ever had to lead a people to a place that you're just not sure where? You'll just know it when you see it. Just keep listening. Number two, we must hear with a sense of illumination from the Spirit of God. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you've accepted Christ and you've become one of his followers, the moment you did that, the Holy Spirit of God indwelt you. And, and, and you will know this, you will understand this, regardless of where you're at spiritually, that there have been times when, when you have said, you know, I just feel like God told me to do this. The Spirit of God instructed me to do this. How, how often does my wife tell me that? Honey, are you sure God told me? Okay, okay, I'm out. God speaks through his Spirit. I can't describe it, but but I know God told me. Ever been there? I have no GPS. I I don't know an address. I, I don't have a map. He doesn't describe it to me. He just says, you'll know it when you see it. Kind of felt like 31 years ago when we left California. Got a phone call from some guy in Arkansas that said, hey, would you like to start a church? We prayed about it. We said, okay, yeah, why not? You know, we felt God leading us. So we leave our safety zone, our jobs, our, you know, uh, of course, when you leave California, that can be a good thing too. But anyway, a lot of folks are experiencing that. But we, we, we left California. We moved to Arkansas. You say, did you know where you were going? No, we just knew we were going to Arkansas. We, we get here and a lot of people don't know this, but the first gospel light that we started was in Benton. We drove 35 minutes every Sunday morning to a days in hotel preached in a hotel conference room and baptized in a swimming pool for a year. After a year, God said, now go to Hot Springs. Where there? Well, I'll just find a building. There's a lot of buildings in Hot Springs. Well, just keep going. I'll tell you when you see it. We finally found some storefront building that wasn't all that attractive, but it was all we could afford. And God said, that's the one you need. That's the one you can afford. So we got that one. And I said, what do I do about the church in Benton? He said, just drive back and forth. It's not too hard. You can do it. So I preached there at nine o'clock and then I'd drive to Hot Springs and preach here at 11 o'clock and then I'd preach there at nine and here at 11 and month after month after month after month until God randomly sent somebody to pastor that church. About four weeks ago, I'm in the Champion Community Center. I'm standing there cheering the Tigers on and a lady taps me on the shoulder and says, Brother Capace, how are you? I said, who are you? She said, oh, I was saved 31 years ago at the Gospel at Baptist Church in Benton. I still teach Sunday school there. Isn't God amazing? Just tune into his voice. You don't have to know all the details. Remember the disciples on the road to Emmaus. 
The Bible says, Luke put it so amazingly, he said they had the eyes of their understanding opened and they could see. Look at it on the screen. Verse 45, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Wow. Paul prayed for the Ephesians that they would see it with their mind's eye. He said in Ephesians 1.18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints? The Hebrew Christians had their minds illuminated by God. They could see it in in Hebrews 10.32. Remember the earlier days when after you had been enlightened, illuminated, then you were able to endure struggles. And hard sufferings. And it's amazing how God doesn't always give the details, isn't it? Abraham, get up and go. Where? I'll tell you when you get there. Just go. God doesn't give the details because he doesn't know the details. Everybody understand that? God knows the details. God sometimes doesn't give the details because he knows there's something about uncertainty that creates a humility in us. Just being able to trust God. Coming to a place where you admit, no, I I don't know how to do this. I'm not capable of doing this without God. He teaches Abraham to listen to the voice of God within. He's teaching Abraham to not lean to his own understanding. He's teaching Abraham discernment to exercise his senses. Let me say this. You don't learn this from a book. You don't get this from a podcast. This doesn't happen by taking a seminar. You only learn this on your knees listening to God's voice. Tune into God's voice. Number two. Take the first step of faith. And then take the next step of faith. A walk of faith requires a step of faith first. He started walking up the mountain by faith. Look at it in the text. Genesis 22 verse 3. So Abraham got up early in the morning, saddled his donkey. Took with him two of his young men. Don't don't miss that part. That's pretty important. He's got two guys with him. Random guys. We don't know their names. Just two, two servants. He takes his son Isaac, he splits the wood for the burnt offering, and he sets out to go to the place that God had told him about. Abraham's obedience was not based on his understanding. Abraham's obedience was not based on his feelings, but upon faith and trust in God. He fully believed, he was fully convinced that God would raise his son from the dead. Notice what it says next in verse 4. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place. There it is. Remember I told you, you'd know it when you saw it? He saw the place in the distance. In fact, if you study the text, God told him to go to the place four different times. Why? Because the place is very important. You don't want things to work out out of place. You don't want to have the right sacrifice in the wrong place. Abraham had the right son. He had the right wood. He had the right knife. He had the right fire. But he needed the right place. 
I don't want to make the right sacrifice in the wrong place. That's why the enemy so often tries to get you out of your place. I can't tell you how many times in 31 years the enemy's tried to get me out of my place here. At 600 Garland Street or previously 516 Third Street, four blocks down the way. This has just been my place. This is where God placed me. This is, I didn't exactly know when I surrendered at age 13 what my place would be. But I took the next step of faith and then the next step of faith. And all of a sudden I find myself in God's place for me. The place is important. Notice he believed that God was able to do the impossible. But I want you to take notice and listen to what he said. Very, very, I I want you to see it very clearly here. That he did not say, I'll be back. He said, we'll be back. I want you to see it in the text. Look with me if you would at verse 5. Abraham said to the young man, stay here with the donkey. Remember those two guys he took with him? You guys stay here with the donkey. The boy and I are going to go over there to worship. Then we'll come back. How beautiful is that? Everybody get that? We're coming back. He fully intended his son to come back with him. I love that. But notice he leaves the two servants behind. Why did he do that? You know, I can't say for sure, but I can only say from experience that not everyone understands what you see. Not everybody understands the faith that you have. I can tell you this, that I've gone through my life and I've seen many people who were walking with me stop walking with me because I could see something they couldn't see. I've got friends that I always thought I'd be together with in ministry, but they just couldn't see. But God had given me the faith to see. I think about how God gave me my wife, Carol Ann. And I'm so thankful. You know, I, I, I didn't date a lot of girls, but I dated a handful of nice, nice girls. I mean, I think my resume was decent of nice little ladies. They were nice and good girls and Christians. But every time I'd start talking about God's vision... They would all say the same thing. That's crazy. That just doesn't say, I don't know about that. I, I'm not sure. I, I don't know that I, I know. Until I met you. And when I told Carol Ann, after one year of dating her, honey, I, I don't know where God's going to take us, but he wants to do something big. And I just want you to know, I'm, I'm going to follow him wherever he wants me to go. And she said, well, are you insinuating that I'm not? And I said, cha-ching, will you marry me? <laughs> Quick, No. We, we, we dated another year and got married. It's so important. Not everyone's going to have the faith that you have. Sometimes we have to leave the crowd of faithless people and go up in faith. That notice in verse 6 of Genesis 22, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering. He laid it on his son Isaac. And in his hand, he took the fire. And in his hand, he took the knife. And the two of them walked on together. Notice the incredible symbolism here. This is a type of Christ. The father lays the wood on the son to carry. And Jesus carried our cross on his shoulder. He takes the fire. And Jesus took hellfire for us. He took the knife. And Jesus had his side pierced with a spear. 
It's a beautiful passage of Scripture, isn't it? But think about what God asked him to do. Kill your son. Great faith does not mean we don't struggle. I'm convinced that it's very possible that what we saw in that video could have been somewhat what they went through. I don't know that he would have told his wife what God told him. Did you see in that moment, in that video, just, it's just a thought. I mean, it's just something that I think makes sense that sometimes, even in the midst of obedience, there's a fear, there's a, there, there's a struggle. There, we need to give it to God, yes, but Abraham was struggling, I'm sure, wrestling with this decision. I'm sure there were times when he had to fight back the tears. And although God was asking you to do something that seemed completely against God's nature, Abraham never let go of his belief in who God was. And if Abraham wasn't willing to take the first step, the miracle would have never happened. And this is a biblical principle we see all throughout Scripture. If the Israelites had not taken the first step out of Egypt, they would have never crossed the Red Sea. If David would never have taken the first step into the battlefield, he would have never fought his giant Goliath. If Christ had not taken the first step to Calvary, he would have not risen from the dead. Many times, however, I feel that we're too scared or maybe it's, we're just too prideful or possibly too lazy to take that step. Maybe we just don't believe that God is able. But if you're willing to take the first step and then the next step and then the next step you'll begin to see that God is able number one Abraham tuned into God's voice number two Abraham took the first step of faith and number three Abraham trusted in the provision of God he trusted in the provision of God remember the scene when Abraham's young son Isaac was walking up the mountain with him and he looked at his daddy and he said daddy Where is the little lamb that we're going to sacrifice? And Abraham's answer was this. The Lord will provide a sacrifice. He had no doubt that God was going to spare his son or raise him from the dead. One or the other. Look at it in the text. Genesis 22 verse 7. Then Isaac spoke to his father Abraham and said, my father. And he replied, here I am, son. And Isaac said, the fire and the wood are here, but, but daddy, where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Then the two of them walked on together. Why did Abraham believe that God would raise his son? I'm convinced it's because he was fully convinced that God would keep his promise. He believed God's word and he believed God's promise. And sometimes that's what it boils down to, doesn't it? Are we going to believe the world or are we going to believe the word? Abraham didn't know what kind of provision that God was going to make. He just simply trusted that God would make a way and provide. He was trusting in a faithful God who could do the impossible. In church family, we need to trust in a faithful God who can do the impossible. Again, Genesis 22, next, verse 9 and 10. When they arrived at the place, there it is. 
that Isaac had told him about, Abraham built the altar there. He arranged the wood. He bound his son Isaac. He placed him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out and took the knife to slaughter his son. Can you feel the emotions in that moment? He raises the knife to slay his son. And then God makes a way for Abraham right at the crucial point. Look at it in the text. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And just like he said in verse 1, and just like he said in verse 7, he said again in verse 11. Why? Because he was still tuned in to God's voice. Still listening. Here I am. The repetition of Abraham's name indicates the extreme urgency. Abraham, Abraham. Here I am. He was listening to God. God was perfecting the faith in Abraham. Look at the next verse. He says, don't lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now, I know. You passed the test, Abraham. Now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your only son from me. He passed the test. And although God was asking him to do something that that was difficult, he still passed the test. God was testing Abraham whether or not he loved the gift more than he loved the giver. When God knows how much you want the gift, he also knows that that same gift can become an idol in your life. And God needs to know that he can give you something without it replacing him. I think oftentimes God says, I'll give it to you if it doesn't take you over. I'll give it to you if you don't start worshiping it. I'll give it to you if it doesn't become your God. I'll give it to you if it doesn't take my place. When God gives you a gift, don't forget the giver. That's what Thanksgiving truly is all about. It's a reminder for us. It's one day a year. It should be 365 days a year for the believer. That every breath we take, every moment we have with our child is a gift from God. Every moment we have with our spouse is a gift from God. Every breath that we breathe is a gift from God. Trust in the provision of God. As Abraham climbed one side of that mountain... God's provision was climbing up the other side of that mountain. Look at it in Genesis 22, verse 13. Abraham looked up and saw the ram. It was caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered as a burnt offering in the place of his son. Another reminder that if Abraham would not have gone up that mountain, if he would have gone up any other mountain, there would not have been a ram there. If he had not been tuned into God's voice, if he had not taken the first step by faith, if he would have not trusted God to provide, he would have missed the place and killed his future. Listen, when you're in the right place, your provision is already provided. It's tied up in the thicket. Just keep walking by faith. Keep listening to God. He'll show you what the place is and the provision will be in the place. And as soon as God knows that the giver comes first, every blessing that you've ever prayed for is caught up in the thicket. The ram in the thicket is a picture of what? Deliverance. And I think there's three ways that God can deliver us. First of all, the circumstantial deliverance. 
God changes the situation. Sometimes he just miraculously turns the situation around. Like, wow, that's crazy. Many times God does that. But please listen to me, church. Sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes it's just personal deliverance. Where God doesn't change the situation, he just changes you. When God gave us a special needs daughter, we at first prayed for God to heal her. But what God ended up doing was healing us. She's perfect. We're the ones that needed the work. Sometimes God changes you. He gives you a bigger perspective. You get a deeper faith. Your character grows in the trial. You have a better attitude about the situation that hasn't changed. And then sometimes there's the ultimate deliverance. Because I have found that there's some pain in life that you're not going to be relieved until the ultimate deliverance. And that's heaven. There's some pain in life that just doesn't go away. God doesn't promise to take away all the pain. He just promises to give you the strength to handle it. I learned that from a guy named Roger Bennett. He was the pianist for the old cathedral quartet. Growing up, I used to really love southern gospel music, and I loved the cathedrals. Roger Bennett was their piano player. I like Roger because he was from Strawberry, Arkansas. And I used to invite him to come to our church by himself to sing and play the piano. He'd come. One time he came and said, Eric, I need to tell you something. I said, what's that, Roger? He said, I'm, I've got cancer. I said, well, Roger, we're going to pray. You're only 35 years old. We're going to believe God's going to heal you. He said, that's what I'm hoping. He came back six years later and said, Eric, the cancer's back. And he said, uh, it's in stage, whatever stage the worst stage is. And he said, I'm not, I'm not going to make it. But I wrote a song. Our church used to make CDs. And I think we made 10 CDs and they only let me sing one song. But it was the one that Roger Bennett wrote when he was dying of cancer. Can I sing you one verse? Lord, I knew a time like this would surely come my way. When in disbelief, I watched my whole life change. I thought I had the words to tell you how I feel. But the only thing my heart is telling me to say is, Lord, Stay close to me as I journey through the darkness of this great unknown. Lord, stay close to me. Though I place my faith in you, I feel so all alone. My heart trembles like a child as I walk each scary mile. And the only prayer my lips can find to speak is Lord, stay close to me. It wasn't much longer after that that Roger Bennett passed away. Can I tell you something? 
He got the ultimate deliverance. Healed forever. Wow. Finally, and I'm closing. Thank God. The final step is to thank God for his wonderful works. Don't miss this church family. Because this is the last verse in the text. This is the climax of the whole sermon. After God does the impossible, we need to thank him. That's what Abraham did. Look at it in verse 14. Abraham, after all this happened, he names the place Yahweh Yira, which means the Lord will provide. Hallelujah. Thank God for his deliverance. And when you get to heaven, I can assure you that's what you're going to spend all eternity doing. Praising and thanking a God who delivered us from eternal damnation forever. Thank you, Don. That was a perfect place for a yes, sir, an amen, a hallelujah, glory to God. Because I'm going to tell you something, folks. To be delivered from hell forever is a wonderful thing to thank God for. Amen. This old life is only a blink of an eye. It's like a blade of grass. It's like it comes and it goes, but eternity is forever. Listen, you're not waiting on the ram. The ram is waiting on you. If you're not saved today, I can assure you Jesus is waiting for you to say yes. Waiting for you to trust in the deliverance that he's given you by giving you his son Jesus who died on the cross and shed his blood so you could be free from your sin. If you just believe that God is able. So here's the big test in life. When God says the thing you value most in life what you want most in life, what you crave most in life, will you offer it on the altar to me? This is the test. Will you do what Abraham did? Will you let God do the impossible in your life? Because what you can't do, God can do. He's limitless. God asked Abraham to sacrifice the thing that meant most to him in his life. Question. Is there something in this life that you love more than God? The two tests to answer such a question is this. What if God asked you to lay that on the altar? What if he did? You know, Abraham came back down off that mountain closer to God than he'd ever been because he went up the mountain believing in a limitless God. For four Sundays, I've been saying the same thing over and over. He's able. All month, I've been saying, he's limitless. Do you believe it yet? Do you believe it for your family? Do you believe it for your business? Do you believe it for your church? I look out over this audience and I know so many of you so well. Monique, look at you. Do you believe God is able? The things that we talk about, the things that you tell me to pray about, God is able. Israel, God is able. God is able to do what you need in your life to experience to be fully convinced by faith that God can do. Ms. Yoshida is 88 years old. Ms. Yoshida, you've been living for a long time. You've been a Christian for a long time. I've, I've watched you. You've been an inspiration to me. God is able. He 
He's not done with you yet. He's not finished yet. Be fully convinced. 88 years old. He's limitless. He's limitless, Zoe. He's able. Billy's able. Ty, you and I know what we're praying about, right? He's able. He's limitless. Dougie's limitless. Angelica, ashes to life. We're trying to give an education to children in Honduras in the little village that you lived in. That little poor village that God brought you out of. He's able, Angelica, to provide the money and the means to educate Honduras in a way that you've been blessed with. He's able. He's limitless. you got to believe that, church. This isn't just a theatrical series of messages with a preacher who's trying to impress you with his oratory ability. I'm nothing without God. And without the Holy Spirit of God speaking to you, this has all been in vain. Don't miss this opportunity. It's Thanksgiving. Let's thank God. He is able. If you need someone to pray with, we'll be at the altar. If you need to pray by yourself or just with a friend, the altars are open. Let's pray. Father, I love you. I thank you so much for what you've done. I love you. I love our church. God, take this message. May it be a seed that's planted in the hearts of everybody in this building. And as we conclude this series and move into the December series about Jesus, Lord, our soul magnifies you. Our spirit rejoices in God, our Savior. For he who is mighty has done great things and holy is his name. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Shall we stand together?